most American organizations look pretty similar in the amount of money they spend on IT and how their security topography looks. It's not that much different looking than it was five years ago, but the threat profile is profoundly bigger. Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Business Owners Radio, where established business owners get the latest insights, strategies, and practices to grow a sustainably profitable business. And now, Taking Care of Business, your hosts, Craig Moen and Shai Gilad. Welcome to Business Owners Radio, episode 150. Our guest today is Brian Gill, a computer scientist, entrepreneur, angel investor, and chairman of Gillware providing cyber risk assessments, data recovery, incident response, and digital forensics, all based out of the amazing city of Madison, Wisconsin. Gil is also the co-founder of Phoenix Nuclear Labs and has expanded to worldwide services in the medical industry. Good morning, Brian. Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Hey, good morning, Craig, Shai. Really thank you for having me today. Uh, It's great to have you with us today. And I know this is a hot topic in the media today and having a significant impact on our businesses around the world. In a recent article I was reading this month, it said that small and mid-sized businesses have the highest incidence of IT disasters and are the easiest targets for ransomware. And that's 100% accurate. (laughs) It's amazing. And so, Brian, what brought you into involvement in this side of the industry? Where does it all start? Yeah, so I'm a computer scientist and I was a programmer for a number of years and pretty quickly got more into the executive type stuff and leadership and and that kind of thing. And about 15 years ago, around 2003, we started thinking about it. But in 2004, we founded a company called Gilware Data Recovery that was pretty much existing to help SMBs out of data related disasters. Now, circa that era, very few of those disasters were malicious human related but there were more servers crashing or humans made an accident and deleted a bunch of stuff. And we existed to take that equipment and do some sort of electrical engineering or mechanical engineering or firmware or logical file system repairs to kind of get these organizations as much of their data back as possible. You could imagine, you know, back in that era, you might have an architectural firm with a couple dozen architects and 10 years worth of design work and the server that housed all of it just completely crashed and everything was mechanically broken. And and that's the kind of thing we did back then. And I'm always looking for what other value can I add to our clientele? And a lot of those clients were saying, well, how could we have avoided this? And we started a cloud backup company called Gilware Data Services around 2006 and supplied one of the first cloud-based automated smart backup solutions that would take all that data as it's being created, keep revision history on all of it, and move it to a different computer network so that if you ever lost your stuff, no big deal, just download it. About four years ago, we ended up selling that to an organization called StorageCraft, which is a big player in that cloud services backup industry. Around the same time, we were getting enough of these calls to help out of these ransomware situations. And we had enough clients where we had this reputation for digging people out of just disasters. So people just assumed we did what the cyber industry calls incident response. And the incidents that we respond to in that 
are usually mid-sized businesses, sometimes small businesses, but usually mid-sized businesses with one or 200 employees and everybody gets to work on Monday and everything's encrypted and all the backups have been destroyed and it doesn't really get more devastating. I mean, it's really a difficult thing to deal with, but we've been doing that very successfully for about three or four years now. It's amazing how some proactive planning can make life a little better, but no one seems to do it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, almost all of our clients had decent IT professionals and they made a lot of good decisions. And most of them had backups. But what it turns out is that the cyber criminals are also very, very sophisticated. They spend long periods of time in these penetrations, fully understanding the network topography and playing any social engineering games that they can get. And they work really, really hard to make sure they've got a good plan to destroy those backups or circumvent those backups before they pull the trigger on the encryption. Brian, for those of us who've never experienced this kind of attack, and unfortunately, I've had a company fall victim to this twice, actually. And luckily, we were able to subvert any significant downside. But can you tell us how this typically shows up? Yeah, the most common way that the bad guys are going to get access to the network is from an employee making a mistake or sometimes a managed service provider making a mistake by either having incredibly weak authentication or getting tricked with a phishing attack. So a lot of people hear, oh, it's a phishing attack, and they don't quite understand exactly what it means. So I always like to walk through a very specific example. So what happens is you might get as shy. Craig might send you an email, and it'll say, hey, check out this potential guest, and there'll be a link to a Dropbox account. And it'll have a bunch of information about a potential guest you might be looking to book for this show. And it'll read exactly like Craig, and it'll be signed by Craig. And when you click in the Dropbox, Dropbox is going to ask you for your credentials, and you'll put in your username and password. And then what you might figure out pretty quickly thereafter that, well, that didn't really work, and there's no document here for me to look at. And what just happened is a bad actor just got access to a username and password for you that works legitimately on Dropbox. And shortly thereafter, possibly with an automated script, something's going to log into that Dropbox and download whatever data you had access to there. They also have a working username, password, and IP address for your computer. And if you're like a lot of humans who have one or two or three passwords that they use, or they have a couple of variants that they use, sometimes they put an exclamation point at the end, they very well later that evening may try to RDP or remote desktop onto that computer when they think you've gone home for work. And God forbid you have the same credentials and password for Dropbox as your desktop computer. And again, God forbid you don't have a two-factor authentication firewall that's preventing that RDP. They're going to be on your box. And sometimes that happens at home on a laptop or something. And somebody's spouse uses that laptop and they'll gain access to that. And then when you bring it into work is when the bad guys go to work. So it's a pretty tough thing. It's a difficult problem, but most of the time these things start with bad guys getting credentials somehow with a mix of a lack of defensive measures on the organizational side of things. You know, we recently had an employee at one of our entities and she was rather new and criminal got in posing as someone else in the email as her supervisor and concocted this whole scheme about asking her to go buy gift cards 
and then sent her the codes for those gift cards and uh, <laughs> potentially could have defrauded us for thousands and thousands of dollars, but we yeah, caught and it. The, and Go the ahead. gift card thing is, is kind of one step up from the old Nigerian prince, right? That is a certain breed of cyber criminal that's multiple notches underneath the really savvy ransomware groups. Sure. It's not nearly as sophisticated of a grift. But but here's the thing. How could they have figured that out, right? Never. It was extremely convincing. Or are you saying how could the criminal have figured it out? Well, yeah. And well, they could have figured it out because they could have looked at the organization and picked it as a target. They could have looked at somebody on LinkedIn and seen, oh, this person just got hired. And you can see probably possibly figure out who their manager is just based on the job titles. And what might tip people off Sometimes they're really, really smart and they won't start immediately. They're not going to come out of the gate with, hey, buy a bunch of gift cards and and send them to me. They might come out of the gate and say, hey, are you in the office today? That might be the whole message. And they will look to kind of just get you engaged first. And whatever defensive mechanisms, whatever paranoia you may have had is going to be lessened by a lot of their kind of day to day back and forth chats or questions. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I'm hearing this more and more from business owners that are really struggling with these threats. And I think that there's almost like this complacency, Brian. I I know you work with a lot of the mid-sized organizations, but it seems like even some of these smaller organizations are increasingly becoming a target. And I think there's this complacency or this idea that we have that, oh, this is just a big company problem. We only have a few million in revenue. Why would anyone want to attack us? Oh, yeah. And it's more devastating to that SMB, right? We had multiple times. It's unfortunate, but we had one client that was in the financial services industry and had a very successful business with 30 or 40 employees. And when their network got owned, not only was a bunch of immediate financial devastation, but they ended up closing down because they lost trust of all of their clients. Every single one of them said, you let my organization's critical tax data and employee data and social security numbers, and you guys lost all of it to a criminal organization. And I don't want you to work with me anymore. And they had to shut the business down. And it was over 20 years old. So Uh. um, not only... Our businesses of all sizes targets, but it can be shut the doors devastating if you're really small. I'm looking at this from a visual standpoint as far as a building complex itself of a pseudo company and all of the entrances and exits. And everyone has a role in it, but everyone's thought the other person locked that door or that they fix that door's entry point or that it's no longer just an entry, it's an exit. Is there some basics of framework? Of course, it can grow and it can be very extensive in that, but what are some of the framework elements that we really need to be aware of right away? Yeah, so number one thing I would say for businesses of all sizes is you should be taking a hard look at a little product, and I don't have any relationship with this product, but there's a company called Ubico, and they make a thing called a YubiKey, and it is about the size of a key for your house or car, and it'll fit on your keychain. And it supports a new security protocol and a a new flavor of essentially passwordless authentication. And YubiKey would not have been fooled by that phishing attack. Certainly, there are some emerging technologies that are not very expensive. You can buy one of these things on eBay or on Amazon for 50 bucks. And if all you did was pass them all out to your employees and mandate that this is how you log into stuff around here, 
you'd be a lot better off than trusting that your employees are going to have tricky passwords and not get tricked somewhere down the lines. There are some technological things that are happening. Every business of any size, if you have a computer network where all your stuff lives, you need to have two-factor authentication at a minimum to get on that network. And again, this is not an incredibly expensive problem financially. If you're a small business with a couple dozen people, you can possibly go to an eBay and pick up two or three-year-old used FortiGate for hundreds of dollars that will support this two-factor authentication. And what it is, is every time you go to get on your VPN to get into your network, you need that username and password. And then it's going to ask you for that rotating code on your smartphone. So it does add about 10 seconds of annoyance every time you want to get into your network. That's the price we pay for getting beyond usernames and passwords. And the third most important thing, and there's probably 38 different areas that we look at when we take on a client, but the top three for SMBs, the next one is automated backup that will take all of your critical data that's on-premise, your key executives, laptops, and desktops, but then also your cloud services. A lot of us have these CRMs. I picked a really cheap CRM over here, and it's a cloud service. And it might be with a company that's only been in business two or three years. We can't assume that they're not going to get owned too someday. So we need to make sure that all of our critical data is backed up in automated fashion, that it's backed up to a different network. And those backups, you need to have a two-factor authentication on so that you don't just need a username and password to hack in and destroy the backups, but you also need a second factor of authentication to do so. They need 2FA2. And the last thing is you need to audit them. You need to have your internal IT staff or your managed service provider once a quarter, two or three times a year at a minimum as a business owner or as an executive, I want to see those reports from my MSP or from my IT staff that show, hey, Joe over here downloaded the backups from our eight most critical systems, tested them for accuracy, completeness, that they're current and nothing's broken. And that's what really keeps you out of the ransomware situation because you're not gonna get ransomed because you have access to all your stuff. Breaches are still really, really bad, but making sure that those backups are really, really strong. And if I was going to add a fourth, just because probably half businesses don't have them right now, you should really be taking a hard look at your cyber insurance policy if you have one. And if you don't have a cyber insurance policy, you should be taking a hard look at getting one because a lot of business owners make that mistake of thinking, well, I pay for business insurance. And obviously something like this is about as devastating of an event as you can have as a business owner. When you talk about the disruption to your organization and the devastating amount of money that you're going to have to spend to dig out. But if you think your normal business insurance is going to cover this stuff, you might be surprised. So it's time to start asking those brokers these questions. And if you don't have a policy, try to get one and understand what it says. You know, are they going to cover a quarter million dollars of ransomware payment or not? Some of them, they won't or they'll cover five grand. Well, that might have been good enough five years ago, but the numbers that these criminals are demanding are exponentially growing. So there's four kind of high level tips that if you're doing those four things, you're probably better off than 95% of American businesses right now. 
That was extremely helpful, Brian. Appreciate that. Nice and concise. I'm looking at next piece. This is uh, sort of on the, we've talked about the outside intervention into your business. Any guidelines or thoughts regarding an inside job, if you will, or an employee deciding to go rogue? Yeah, that's a whole lot more difficult to deal with. And it does happen. And sometimes that employee doesn't even want to go rogue, but they use social engineering to put that human in a position where he feels or she feels like they need to cooperate with the criminals, right? Because they have some sort of sensitive or devastating personal information on them that they're kind of holding them hostage with in order to kind of get them to cooperate. I guess number one thing, as far as what you'd want to really think hard about there is user permissions. In a lot of businesses, especially small businesses, you know, there's a Z drive and it's some little cheap NAS they bought somewhere and it sits there on the network. And if you're an executive of any ability, you probably have God mode access to get everything off of there. And that can be a big problem. So when you're deeper into these relationships, you start to look at things like that and you start to look really, really, really hard at user permissions, not just user permissions, but internal software process permissions. Does this Linux box really need full access to this other Linux box? Or can we just tie down this IP address and this port to the MySQL? And does it really need write access and drop table access? Or, or does it just need to fetch? You know, So that is usually the type of thing that we're going to be talking heavily about in like year two of an engagement. But humans are usually the problem and probably one out of 40 is kind of my rough guess. Maybe one or 2% of these situations, it's some deliberate action inside or malicious action by an inside actor. I appreciate that feedback. And suppose that we suspect something's going on. Something's just not right. We had a corrupt drive and we're noticing some activity. What's our plan of action from your viewpoint? Yeah, I mean, listen to those voices and shout to the world and specifically shout to your IT people as quickly as possible. In these situations, humans don't like to be embarrassed, you know, especially in that earlier example when Shy got fished by fake Craig. If you notice that happened to you, you don't want to bury your head in the sand. You really need to get over it as quickly as possible. You need to run, not walk to your local IT group and beg their immediate assistance so that they can be aware and walk through it because they probably have really good ideas on what to do next. As a business owner, make sure your culture supports that. If you've got a culture where everybody's terrified of you and terrified to make these types of mistakes or any kind of mistake, make sure that people know, hey, if you think you got fished or if you notice something's going on or if you think you accidentally clicked on some website that maybe you shouldn't have been looking at at work, and something bad starts to happen, you really need to get over that personal fear and get mobilized as quickly as possible. As a micro-sized business, we want to be changing authentication on a whole bunch of different services. You might want to consider unplugging the internet because if there is a malicious actor and he's overseas in North Korea, he's not going to have much luck continuing to do whatever he was trying to do if he doesn't have internet access to your stuff. So if you're really in that heat of the earliest moments, you might consider something like that. And again, larger organizations, especially once you start to get into the hundreds of employees or if they're in that healthcare or financial services, like highly sensitive data area, you might even have an incident response firm like a Gillaware on retainer. 
pick up the phone. That's why they're on retainer, right? And they can quickly come in, roll out software if it's not already on every node in your network. But companies like us have software packages that can help in these situations to quickly quarantine machines that are just doing stuff that they don't normally do, right? This machine over here doesn't normally transmit 300 gigs of data to an overseas IP address. That's kind of not a very normal thing to happen. And that machine can quickly quarantine. And the software can talk amongst themselves and say, hey, nobody trusts Shai's computer. Something bad's going on there, right? So long story short is it all starts with quick decisions. Don't put any thought to job security or embarrassment. Do not let that get in your way. Excellent. Brian, is there any other topic areas that you find really hot with your users and with your clients that we should cover? You know, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily hot, but you alluded to it earlier, which is this is a problem that cannot be solved by any one party of people. There needs to be a level of education at the board level, at the CEO level, at the CFO levels. These are the people that really need to bone up on all this stuff because they're the ones that have the power of the purse and are going to be in best position to adequately arm their IT organization to actually play active defense. And a lot of times when we come into an organization and we look at our top 50 things we look at, and there's 13 or 18 or 37 problems, most of the time the IT group knows about two thirds of those problems. And they may have even been begging for some of these things to get fixed over the years. But it's not until a third party comes in and says, well, this is a real big problem. Does that internal group trust their IT group? So I think it can really start just by the C-level executives, the board members, starting to ask these tough questions, not just assuming that those managed service providers or IT group internally have been doing all the things that we've been talking about here. Because most American organizations look pretty similar in the amount of money they spend on IT and how their security topography looks. It's not that much different looking than it was five years ago, but the threat profile is profoundly bigger. Well, Brian, thank you so much for joining us today on Business Owners Radio. Craig Shai, it was a pleasure. Love it. It's been great and great information. Thank you so much for sharing. And is there anything else you'd like to leave with our listeners today? Yeah, if you're sitting there wondering if you took any of this to heart and you're worried and you're a mid-sized business of 100 to kind of 500 employees and you're really wondering how good you are, we have been developing this tool. We call it the Gilware Ransomware Stress Test or RST. You can go to gilware.com, G-I-L-L-W-A-R-E. It's free. It will take a few hours to do and you're going to need a few members of your IT group there because it does get pretty technical. But it walks you through how to identify threats, how to protect threats, how to detect them, and how to respond and recover. How adequately prepared is your organization in those four major categories? And it not only will do that, but there is easily digestible remediation information there too. So we're trying to help with some of this complacency, and it's a free tool that we're working on very, very hard. And your listeners may find some value, but it is pretty technical and it is something you're going to need an IT person there for. Our guest today has been Brian Gill, a computer scientist, entrepreneur, angel investor, and chairman of Gilware. 
You can learn more about Brian as well as find links to his website and a free risk assessment all on our website at businessownersradio.com. Thank you for joining us on Business Owners Radio. We hope you enjoyed today's show. As always, you can read more about each episode along with links and offers in the show notes on our website, businessownersradio.com. We want to hear your feedback. Please leave comments on this show or suggestions for upcoming episodes. Tell your fellow business owners about the show and, of course, you would love the stars and comments on iTunes. Till next time, keep taking care of business.